Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today we are beginning a series, a multi-part series on Scott's book, Pastor Paul, Nurturing a Culture of Christoformity in the Church. Scott, this book is one of my favorites, and as we begin, I'd love to know why you thought it was so important for us to talk about this book now. What is it that's going on in the world that's getting your attention that makes you want to focus on this particular book right now? Well, I think you'd have to be blind or tone deaf not to recognize some of the issues going on in American evangelicalism today, but it's the uh, Southern Baptist Convention this week and the the leaks of stuff about the inside circle and how non-redemptive mm. I'll just be nice with that word how hypocritical not so nice yeah and how uh, belligerent and power mongering it's just all these things you say this is not the way pastors ought to be operating mm. these are people who are going to lead a huge denomination in America, mostly in the South, and they want power and they want to exclude. You just don't hear um, what I would call Christoformity or Christ-likeness in their agendas. Yeah. Everything seems to be about what they're against. And I thought, um, I've, I've complained about this on my Substack blog, Tove Unleashed, but I have um, two positive books about how to be redemptive in the church. One about pastors, Pastor Paul, and the other about Tove. And we've been talking about Tove everywhere we go. Uh, I'd like to talk about Pastor Paul. So I'm really glad you uh, you suggested this and you're willing to talk about it. Yeah, well, I'm excited. And the subtitle of this book is really great because it sums up I think what the book is about, which is nurturing a culture of Christiformity in the church. And I wondered if you'd talk a little bit about that word Christoformity, because I think it's it's an unusual one for a lot of people. It would help us to know what you mean by that. Yeah, um, one of the great books of the, well, I guess it was in the 20th century, uh, of contemporary uh, scholarship on the Apostle Paul was by Michael Gorman, which was his first major book, and it was called uh, cruciformity. Mm. And I I totally embrace what Michael Gorman is saying. But when I but I began to work on on this idea of crystal uh, cruciformity, uh, I was influenced by Jimmy Dunn somewhere, I no longer remember where, he mentions cruciformity. And I like the term better than cruciformity because I think it's bigger mm. and it's more personal. It's conformity to the person of Christ, whereas cruciformity is more conformity to the cross of Christ. I agree with Michael Gorman that cruciformity can adequately express the whole, but I think the whole is better expressed by cruciformity. But if Michael wanted to present a case for cruciformity, I'd probably agree with him. <laughs> so we, we've, had, we've had a little conversation about this at some point, mm. just in passing. And uh, I very much like what he has to say. So, yeah. so it, it means to be Christ-like. 
to be formed into the image of Christ as we find in 2 Corinthians 3 and into chapter 4 as we gaze upon the image of Christ. We are formed into his image and Romans 8 tells us that our destiny is to become like Christ. So that's that's what we're talking about. That's good. And, and that's... pastors, I think, are primarily called to nurture Christoformity in individuals and churches, not just individuals, but in individuals and churches so that a church becomes Christoform. Yes. So that's the work of pastors and that's the work of the church is as a culture is to step into that image of Christ, to be formed more and more into the likeness of Christ over time. Yeah. So agree. On the, on the first chapter, you begin to lay out 10 different elements of a Christiform culture that pastors should be nurturing. And you cover a lot here, um, but I'd like to just kind of go through these 10 elements and talk a little bit about uh, why you think these particular pieces are so important for pastors to be nurturing in the context of a church. And the first one that you lay out is a culture of people. What do you yeah. mean by that? Um, a true pastor pastors people as people. Mm. They look out in their congregation and they see faces and behind those faces they see stories and lives and children and deaths and marriages and cancer and violence yeah. and hopes and disappointments and all these things are in the faces, are in those faces. And and a pastor pastors those people. You know, Laura, you're one of my students. Yeah. So you hear me say this all the time. <laughs> pastors pastor people they've got, not people they've not got. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I, I think I probably learned this from Eugene Peterson, but I'm not sure who I got it from. Uh, and by the way, ev- that first chapter, could I wish I could have just reproduced some chapters from Eugene Peterson. <laughs> He's the yeah. best for me on this topic. Yeah. But um, you you pastor who you've got, and your your responsibility and your calling is to nurture in them mm-hmm. without coercion, without verbal violence, um, nurture in them Christoformity and Christ-likeness, and to help them when they need help, to stay away from them when they need you to stay away from them, uh, to know them, to know their stories, to know their names, to know their family, to know their family's names. Hmm. And I think that's what that's what pastoring is, people. It's yeah. about people. Yeah. It's not good. about numbers. It's right. not about numbers. Right. Yeah, and it's it's those individuals, the ones that you have in your congregation that you are responsible for for caring yes. for them and for seeing them formed into Christ likeness over time. And I think sometimes churches um especially larger churches sometimes face the difficulty where the pastors are removed from their people, where they don't know their stories, they don't know their histories. And so then it beca- it makes pastoring a challenge if you don't know your people. Yeah. You know, what kind of pastor is it who has a private parking place that feeds into a private door, that feeds into a private office that no one can get to, yeah. who are then protected by security guards as they come out onto the platform and then are ushered off. I, that's not a pastor. That's a talking head, and it's not pastoring. Right. It's not even preaching because it's not preaching. 
to a people, it's just disseminating what one person thinks is the best ideas. Yeah. Okay, I've said my piece. (laughs) All right. The second item that you have is a culture of formation. And you say that the pastor's first responsibility is to nurture and to be nurtured into spiritual formation. And I think this is an essential idea that pastors need spiritual formation as well. If they're going to help with this process in the lives of other people, they need to be focused also on their own spiritual formation. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a pastor is, first of all, a Christian, a follower of Jesus personally. A pastor in preaching a sermon should preach in light of having heard that scripture to herself or himself as a pastor. Mark Allen Powell has that great book, What Do They Hear?, in which he shows that lay folks, when they read a gospel text, identify with the disciples or the character who gets healed by Jesus, whereas pastors identify with Jesus. And this is a category mistake. Yeah. They are not Jesus. They are they are a disciple. Let's say, let's just even say first among equals, which is not always true. But let's just say it's even that even then mm-hmm. they're among equals. Yeah. They are disciples of Jesus. And I think pastors need to read the Bible as a book that they listen to. Mm-hmm. They need to pray. They need to practice the disciplines. And probably in our day, pastors need therapists. Yeah. To become more self-aware. Yeah, I think that's true. And I'm, I'm in a denomination right now that um, pretty much requires, it's strongly encouraged, but it's on the level of almost a requirement for every pastor to have both a therapist and a spiritual director. And I've been told that they almost equate it with spirit or pastoral malpractice if you're not under the care of those two individuals as a pastor. The idea is that we want our pastors to be cared for themselves so that they're able to care effectively for other people, which I think is yeah, important. Now I would, uh, I'd like to have a, a different ecclesiology. I, I know this denomination. And I, think, I think they're mostly right in doing this. I would want pastors to be in the care of other pa- of a yeah. senior pastor, yeah. a wise bald haired, or bald headed <laughs> or gray haired guy, or woman, who has who has these uh, sagacious experience mm-hmm. of learning and being able to guide them. Yeah. And we don't have that today. Yeah. Uh, we don't have enough of it, and as a result, uh, I think pastors uh, need the need the therapist. Mm-hmm. That's especially for self-awareness yeah. and honesty. And they need a spiritual director. Uh, and I hope that's not just uh, individual, but is also pastoral. Yeah. I, I read uh, Eugene Peterson in Working the Angles was talking about spiritual direction and the need for that for pastors to have that. And he said pastors should not choose their own spiritual director. <laughs> he said in the best case scenario, they would be assigned because we, we have a temptation to self-deceive. And it's important that an, an objective person is asking us hard questions instead of a friend. Um, that there's no, a place. That's good. Yeah, there's a place I, for that. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Mm hmm. All right, the third one is a culture of listening. And you say that a Christiform culture then is not first a culture of talking, but of listening. So give us give us your thoughts on that. Well, um, InterVarsity published a book, 
and I can't remember the author's name. It was a woman from England, I believe. Higgins, I believe. Huggins? A few years ago. And um, maybe a decade, maybe 50, maybe 20. I'm not sure. <laughs> and it, it impressed me. Um, but what has impressed me more than anything else about this is Chris, my wife, mm -hmm. is a psychologist. Yeah. And she knows how to listen. Yeah. Um, she listens to me too much, probably. <laughs> she would say, you talk too much. Okay? <laughs> so she said, you listen to me, you talk too much. Um, psychologists have, have, have developed the art of listening and hear in what people say things that are quite are not quite on the surface. Right. And the wise pastor listens to people on staff and listens to people, um, uh, co-pastors, whatever, and listens to the congregation. Yeah. And she or he learns from these people what it means to pastor in this place. If if pastors come in just yapping and talking and chatter bombs, you know, they they lose respect uh, for all their yapping. But they don't hear enough mm -hmm. to know what to say to this congregation. Yeah. Um, I have learned... You know, I taught college students, and and I heard things that just were out of the out of this world for me because I was older and I didn't listen to the same music they listened to and didn't go to the same bars on the weekends that they do, and so I learned a lot from college students. But my time at Northern Seminary has been so fruitful for me to listen to my students who are are ministering in churches to hear things that I did not know they were facing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a series going on right now on the blog at Christianity Today called Jesus Creed. My other one's at Substack called Tove Unleashed. But it's it's about pastors um, pastoring what they've learned during the pandemic, during crisis. Yeah. And if you, if you read these, you're going to hear how well these pastors are listening to people in their congregation. Yeah. And and I, I heard a, a report the other day, 25% of pastors are considering leaving the pastorate as a res because of this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, part of it for all that they've heard. There's been a, it's been very demanding and difficult for pastors. Yeah. So listening. Very listening important. is important, yes. Then you have a culture of prophecy. And I think out of all of the different cultures that you talk about, this one might be difficult for people to understand. So you say that sometimes the pastor's communications are prompted by the spirit in such a manner that we must say the words are prophetic. So pastors sometimes say things that have sort of a prophetic feel to them. What do you mean by that? Well, in the Bible, a prophet is someone who hears from God and is used as a mouthpiece by God to speak to the people of God, right? Um, in our culture, to be a prophet is basically equivalent to being a social critic, you know? Mm -hmm. And frankly, a lot of people think their tweets and their Instagrams and their Facebook snark <laughs> is prophetic. Um, and I'm, I'm not so sure 
I don't think that's very wise to use that as prompt. Mm. I, I want to say that a person has to feel a prompting. And it can be momentary and all of a sudden when a pastor, let's say, let's say, Laura, that you're preaching. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly say a few things and you think, that wasn't in my script. Mm -hmm. You, and yet you you sense there was something going on in those words. Yeah. And then you discover three months later that what you said shook somebody to the core. Mm. That was a that was a prophetic utterance. Yeah. Um, I met with um, a woman at graduation this last Saturday uh, who has written a book on widows. Mm. And she came up to me and she said, you don't remember this, but you and Chris had breakfast with me and you said something to me that was genuinely prophetic and it reshaped my life mm. and my entire ministry wow. is now based on what you said. Wow. And I said, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> and she said something, but it, I mean, it, it's her ministry to widows and mm. connecting widows. Uh, it's such a, a, a beautiful ministry mm. that she's developed. Um, so I, th I, I like to equate that with profit. At times, you know, when I, when I blogged the first time about Willow Creek, one of my friends who's an Old Testament professor said to me, that's as close to prophetic as I've ever seen. Yeah. And I went, whoa, I don't know that I want to claim that. I felt a burden to say yeah. that. And, um, and I think it had an impact, mm. you know, and sometimes our prophetic words aren't very well received. That's also pretty typical of, of a prophetic word. So, yeah. and sometimes the pastor is called to do that. So I, if a pastor gets up and thinks he's going to criticize everybody every week and challenge people beyond what they can do, I don't think that's prophetic. I think it's reckless pastoral yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, but it's those moments when the spirit grabs hold of our tongue and teaches us something. Yeah. That's really helpful to hear about the role that the spirit plays in uh, providing a word that pastors can share with their people um, in a way that has almost like a prophetic feel to it. Well, let's look at a culture of presence. And I'm going to start by reading something that you wrote, because I think this frames it really well. You said, pastors pop pastor people by becoming a spirit-prompted presence. Here, pastors embed themselves in their own community and seek fresh words for that community. Pastors then are a holistic, redemptive presence in and for a specific community. And pastors, and you say, here is the deeper point, are seen as the presence of God in a community. So tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, well, I really like what I said there. That was better than what I could say now. <laughs> um, I think pastors need to recognize that people perceive them as a notch above and as in tune with God in a way that a lot of people aren't. Now, some people think they know more than the pastor. Okay, I'm not dealing with that. But the general impression of lay people is that a pastor is special when it comes to their relationship with God and their ability to help someone know mm -hmm. the mind of God and the will of God. 
okay? Now, some people might not like that. I'm not talking about whether that's right. I, I do think it is. It's reality. This is the way people perceive the pastoral leader in a local church. And if they do something wrong, the people say, I would never have expected that of you. Or, right. um, why did you do that? Okay? Um, I remember a pastor uh, who, who fell into sin of some sort. And I remember my son was young and knew who that one was, who that person was, and said this to me, why, why would he do that? He's a pastor. Hmm. Now that right there, I think, is what pastors need to recognize. So they need to realize that every day, every moment there in the presence of other people, people see them as a role as a pastor, not just a person, yeah. Yeah. but as a pastor. I have conversations with my pastors a lot, all right? I, I, I feel toward them as people are mediating the presence of God to me. Now, sometimes, you know, we can have a conversation about what's the best kind of car, you know, um, or <laughs> what's the best, something about a computer, all right? Okay, or a book or something like that. And then it's it's off bounds. But in general conversations, I expect them to be pastoral in their presence. And yeah. I'm very proud of the fact. It's a lot of response. I know, but I'm very proud of our two pastors. Well, uh, Stephanie is a pastor of the children, so I don't deal with her the same way. But Amanda Holmgrosengren and Jay Greener, I... I I feel the presence of God when I'm with them. Yeah. I think that's a lot of responsibility for pastors. Like that feels um, like a tremendous responsibility um, to, to realize that people are viewing you that way anytime you're sort of in a public position. Um, but I think it's important as well to realize that, that that's, that's how pastors are viewed um, and that we have a responsibility. I think you're right. It is a heavy responsibility, but it's the responsibility the pastor assumes when she or he accepts that call. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I think it's so critical that pastors have a mature faith and have um, good connections in their lives to keep them grounded um, and to hold them accountable because um, that, it, it is so hard for people um, when pastors do sin to not have that rock their world for a congregation. Yeah. I mean, it can just really challenge people's view of God um, when that's... And, and I would also say um, it's, it's not only that they need to be mature, they need to have worked, for, let's say, for a decade in general yeah. with um, a really good role mm. model who, who walked with them and embodied for them what the pastoral life is like. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Pastors need mentors. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, the next culture that you have is similar to this. It's a culture of priesthood. And here you talk about the the role of a mediator, that the pastor mediates God to the world and mediates the people of God before God, that the pastor stands sort of in between people and God in this mediator role. You know, a lot of us who are Protestants are nervous about this word priest because that's what Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox have, yeah. you know. Uh, Episcopalians do too. All right, so they're they're a little nervous about this word priest, and I, you know, I, I, I've grown up with that, so I, I don't very often call my two pastors priests. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm with other Anglicans, I, I say that, but a, a lot of people are nervous about this. But you you look at Romans 15 is where I quoted mm-hmm. I quoted in the book. Yeah about this is Paul sees himself, he describes himself as a priest administering, let's say, the redemptive work of God with other people. So here's what I would say again. As past, as people believe that their pastor is the presence of God, mm-hmm. um, at, at some level, they expect that of them. When they talk with them and ask them questions that pastor is being perceived as a priestly mediator of the redemptive work of God I remember I was playing golf with a man and we're on hole one and he asked me what I think of divorce Mm. and then he said do you think it's okay for a Christian who got divorced to get remarried. Well, you know, I was I was a professor at the time. In fact, I was not even at Northern. I was a college professor. And this guy asked me this question, and I realized on the on the spot, number 1 he was considering divorce. Right. Number 2 he was asking me if it's permissible to get remarried. And number 3 he was expecting me as a Bible scholar to have the right answer that he could follow Mm. and therefore do the will of God. I was, I was mediating God's redemptive work Mm. to him as we discussed. And it went on for about 15 holes (laughs) back and forth questions. What about this? What about that? But we played a lot of golf, and he beat me. Uh, uh, but he was he was a lot better than I was. So um, I think that pastors need to realize this, is that they are, if they don't want to mediate the redemptive work of God, they shouldn't get into the calling. Yeah. Because that is their calling. Now, now let me give you uh, an embodied response. I think the pastor who wears a clerical shirt and collar mediates a message yeah. to people that I'm here as a representative of God in the world. And I've told this story probably on the podcast before, but if I sometimes I'm traveling to speak, I'll wear a clerical shirt and a, and a, a collar. And uh, even though I'm I'm only a deacon, but I'm still 
um, a minister of the gospel. Whenever I've done this, every time I've worn that shirt to the airport, someone has come up to me and asked me to pray for yeah. them. They usually call me father, mm -hmm. and I don't want to blow the gaff and say, I'm, I'm only a deacon, <laughs> but okay. I, I accept my role mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. They've asked for something that they expect of mediation because of what I'm wearing. I, I believe that that is a, an embodied reality mm -hmm. that ministers can live. Now, a lot of them are really nervous. They're as nervous about the, the clerical shirt as they are about the word priest. I'm, I'm not bothered by either one. I wish pastors would start wearing, I wish they'd start wearing clerical shirts yeah. because they're, they're starting to dress and um, make themselves visible by, by their clothing and draw attention to themselves too much. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that uh, the priestly role is fundamental to the pastoral task. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think um, you talk in that chapter, too, about the, the times of life when your pastor shows up. So pastors marry people. They baptize yep. family members. They're there when you're sick. They're there when you're dying. Like pastors have this unique role in the lives of other people um, That that is just a beautiful um, way of caring for people at some of their most vulnerable moments. And yeah. I think that's important for pastors to remember that they show up in the lives of people at those moments where people want to hear from God, uh, where pe that's yeah. what people are looking for. Um, and they need to be ready for that, um, which I think is a beautiful, it's a beautiful piece of being a pastor, you know, is, is having, it, it having is. that role. I was a college student, assistant pastor. A man in our church was dying of cancer. And the pastor, the senior pastor, asked me if I would make a visitation to the hospital. Yeah. Chris, we were newly married. Chris and I went to the hospital. I don't think Chris went in with me, that maybe she did. And... I walked in there. I, I remember saying, well, what do I do? What do I say? You yeah. know, I, I'd never been with him to the hospital. Yeah. It would have helped if, I, if that would have happened. And um, he said, uh, probably good for you to read. He gave me a psalm mm -hmm. to read a mm -hmm. psalm and to pray for him. Yeah. And when I walked in there, here, here I am, probably 21, yeah. 20. <laughs> I walk in the hospital room and... He's somewhere between yellow and green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was overwhelming. Yeah. I was not ready for this. Yeah. I I read the scriptures. I held his hand. Mm -hmm. I prayed for him. And I got out of that room as fast as I could and held back tears. Mm -hmm. And then in the hallway, yeah. you know, it was really difficult. Yeah. I had never faced death as a mediator of God's redemptive work yeah. like that. Yeah. I'll never forget it. You know, I've, in fact, I've never, I've never been asked to do this sort of thing mm -hmm. uh, because I've been a professor my whole life. Um, but that, those are the things that the best, that, that good pastors are good at. Yeah. And they learn it from experience and watching other people do it. They learn it from their relationship with God. Mm -hmm. They know what to say 
They don't say anything stupid, <laughs> you know, like, you'll be okay. Yeah. We're praying for you. Yeah. You know, they, they need to know that you love mm -hmm. them, that you know their name, that you're looking after their family, yeah. that you will, the people in the church care about him or her and the family, and they will be there for yeah. them. Yeah. You know, that those are the kinds of things they want to hear. Yeah, it's so important. So Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Laura. Yeah. And the next one you have is a culture of servanthood. And you started this section with a story about John Stott that I had never heard. Um, he's traveling with Rene Padilla, and they arrived in an Argentinian city late at night, and they had to go through, like, down a muddy path to get where they were staying. And it says that Padilla woke in the morning to find Stott cleaning the mud off of his shoes. Um, and you said, whenever the pastor acts like this, the church observes that it is here for others, not for itself. By serving others, the pastor nurtures a Christoform culture. And I just love this idea of thinking of John Stott sitting there, you know, cleaning the mud off of his friend's shoes. I think that's a beautiful image. And you're very young. <laughs> John Stott was my hero mm. when I was in college and seminary. Yeah. I traveled to hear him speak. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing him in college. and It was just so overwhelmed when we were in London in 1975 as a summer missionary. We got on a, a bus and traveled to his church just to go into that church building. Wow. I don't know where he was. Yeah. And uh, we looked inside. And then I remember in seminary, I, I worked at UPS, so I slept from four to, and I'll see, I slept, I slept from like 11 o'clock to 3.30 in the morning. And then I worked, and then I came home and I slept till noon. <laughs> I passed on sleeping one morning to go hear John Stott in chapel. Wow. So when I read that story, I was so moved mm. that I thought, I, I want to pass this good news on about John Stott. Mm. I don't know about a lot about his personal life, but um, the people I've known who knew him personally would say this, this was classic John Stott. He, he could always help. I was with a pastor the other day, and... Right away, he said, is there anything I can do for mm. you? And I was with, uh, at graduation, one of my colleagues, who's a retired pastor, said to me, Scott, I pray for you every morning. Mm. What can I be praying for you about? Yeah, that's good. You know, that, those, are the, uh, those are the moments when you realize pastors are servants yeah. to one another. Yeah. To others. Yeah. 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 And I think mo modeling that. that for their church, I think, gives their congregation an idea of who they're called to be. That's that's what helps form yeah. them in the image of Christ is seeing that modeled for them by their leader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that segues well into our next point, which is a culture of leadership. Um, pastors have the responsibility of being worthy of being heard. And when they are worthy, they create a culture where leading is nurturing others to follow Christ. And I said, I underlined this one a lot. So this idea of um, having that responsibility of being worthy of being heard, that they are leaders, but they, it, again, it's this idea of responsibility that um, yeah, yeah. they take that seriously. And, and it's rooted in their own spiritual formation, in their own Christ-likeness, 
that they become a person who's wise um, for the moment and for the person in their relationship that they can be trusted to say what needs to be said and what they say is worthy of listening to. And I, I find the word leader, you, you know, you've heard me say this and everybody's heard it. I, I react to this word because I'm afraid it, le it leads away from pastors as pastors yeah. toward pastors as business model shaped entrepreneurs uh, rather than pastors. Okay, so, but pastors lead. They are up front. That, this is the word used for leadership in the New Testament, to, to be up front, to be in front. Um, and, and pastors lead. But it is not a leadership by control or power or words, but as worthy of being followed, of worthy of, of being heard. And that is where I think we need to focus our energy. That's, oh, this is so important. And, um, you know, uh, I take students, and you're going to be, uh, you'll be one of them, uh, to um, Turkey and Greece yeah. in, in the master's program, yeah. to Israel in the doctoral program. And there's some, something that happens in the groups where the natural pastors, let's say the, the pastors begin to emerge as pastors in those groups. And some people who are going to pastor are not ready for that, or they want to tune that out for the moment. But there are some people who I think are naturally gifted as pastors who can never not be pastors. Mm. And in, in these settings, they arise as the ones that people look to to help them decide what to do next. And that's where, um, that's where you find these students uh, leading and you go, that person's gifted mm -hmm. for that. You yeah. know, like I think of a, one of our, my doctoral students named Jeff Blair. He, he's just this way, and Doug McPherson. He's this way wherever he is. Um, people want to know what he would like to mm. do. Um, and he can provide the wisdom or they can provide the wisdom and the guidance. And um, that's where um, that's where I think pastors uh, become, that's when they're pastoring. Yeah. So. yeah, that's good. Well, then you end with two sort of warnings, which are yes. two, two temptations. And the first of these is a culture of temptation to celebrity, which I think is something that we've seen a lot of. Um, and you say the te temptation to celebrity is the temptation of performance. So this is the idea of the pastor as performer. Um, and you say, those bowing before the Lord Jesus ought not to be drawing attention to themselves. Those who follow the man of poverty ought not to be seeking dollars. So tell us a little bit more about yeah. that idea. Um, you know, someone said a, a celebrity is someone who's famous only for being famous, <laughs> whereas the famous are famous for something they've done. Uh, so I'm not sure that that definition applies here, but some pastors relish the glory and the fame and the power and the money that is associated with 
a big platform. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a pastor, and we used to say this at Trinity, in Boone, Iowa. I don't know anything about Boone, <laughs> Iowa, but they used to use this one. In other words, a rural pastor. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit of glory there, but when you go to Chicago, nobody's ever heard of it. Right. All right. But if you are the pastor of a church of 30,000 people, you go to the airport and people want to want your signature, your autograph. When you uh, go to a pastor's conference, you get to special treatment. They take you to the green room and take care of your every little need. And some people get used to this yeah. and they like it. And then they start demanding it. And um, I think pastors, good pastors, discipline themselves in such a way that they break the habit of that temptation so that this never becomes a problem for yeah. them. Yeah. Now, maybe they can never have it not be a problem. But if you love being congratulated after your sermons, not that, you know, some pastors are listening. Did, did this work? And they want to hear what people have to say. Others want to make sure that everybody is giving them praise and glory. If you like the uh, glory of being on the platform, of being under the lights, of having your picture on the cover, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are, I think, practices and habits that should be disciplined out of our habits uh, by intentional efforts to break them down. Mm. And I think pastors have to do that. They have to do it by, let's say, serving the homeless and never telling anybody. Mm doing things that no one knows but their spouse. Yeah. That that will help break down the habit and share the platform right. and share the platform with someone who is better so that people will say, you know, you're pretty good, but that guy was really good. <laughs> or, you know, you were good, but I'm telling you, uh, Tish Harrison Warren is a lot better. Yeah. And that humiliating act is good for people. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And the last one that you bring up is a culture of temptation to power. Um, and you say a Christiform culture is nurtured not by those seeking power over, but by those seeking power for God and for others. So tell us a little bit more about that, that idea of power for instead of power over. Um, every pastor uh, is given a certain amount of power. Anybody who stands up behind a pulpit and expounds the word of God is sharing. Now, this is, a, this is astounding. Sharing in the power of the spirit and the power of the word of God, the power of God, the authority of God to the people. Anybody who has the power to hire and fire, to determine a person's wage, to make decisions that impact other people in positive ways and in negative ways. So you gain, you gain affirmation and you gain disapproval by your decisions. Anybody who is in that position is going to be tempted to use it to their own advantage. And the more narcissistic the person, the greater the temptation to abuse power. And pastors need to be aware of power, their capacity for power, and to work hard at 
not misusing power. Mm -hmm. And instead to practice the discipline of using what power they have for the sake of others. To share their platform. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I can, I can say this. I get to, I, I realize this. I get to share the, my platform of writing on a blog with other people who get to blog. On, and, you know, people write me, can I write this on your blog? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sharing that platform with people, and I don't always agree with what they write. But I see it as sort of a ministry of encouragement. Mm -hmm. I've had some people write on my blog for a long time and then disappear. They got what they needed, and I helped them along in that way. I think we all have capacity to do this. Moms and dads have power over their children, and they can use their power to help that child, mm. you know, to help that child grow into becoming an adult and, a, let's say, a, a mature Christian. Um, we have, in our jobs, we have the capacity, the power, the authority to use our position to give other people credit in a way that may um, degrade some of our credit. Mm. And we say, I'm going to, I'm going to say that this person is doing, has really helped me a lot. And instead of taking all the glory ourselves. So let us use the power that we have for the sake of others, because Jesus, who had all the power in the world as equal with God, surrendered it to the point of a cross in order to empower us to become the children of God. That's what pastoring is. That's good. Well, so far we've looked at the 10 elements that you include that churches should be nurturing Christiformity and, and the, or pastors should be nurturing these elements of Christiformity in the lives of their church. And then from here for the rest of the book, you look at seven elements that Pastor Paul uses, seven samples of his leadership um, or ways of creating culture that benefit uh, the churches that he pastored. And so we'll spend the next several episodes unpacking some of those seven uh, examples of how Pastor Paul nurtured a culture of Christiformity in the church. But I want to thank you for going in depth today um, at these 10 elements, because I think it's helpful Um yeah, yeah. As we see so many public examples of, of maybe just some real challenges to the church at this time, to spend some time taking a deep dive into what helps nurture a healthy culture in the church. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. And I want to say to all of our listeners that we look forward to being with you next time as we continue this conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 